0: I'm Jessica Harris, this is From Scratch. My guest is Chris Barton, co-founder of Shazam, an app that identifies the music or TV around you simply by holding up your phone to the sound. If you're in a store and you love the sound you're hearing but do not know who sings it, Shazam will tell you the name of the artist and the song by making a digital footprint of the audio and matching it with the millions of songs in Shazam's database. Shazam started out as a text-based service before it became an app, one of the first available in the Apple App Store in 2008. Now over 100 million people per month use the service. Chris started Shazam in 2000 with three other co-founders. He's originally from San Diego, California. Welcome.
1: Thank you, thank you, Jessica.
0: How did you come to the idea for Shazam?
1: So I actually think that the the Fundamental idea of identifying a song was one that was very obvious to many people, and in fact, there were actually multiple startups that were trying to conquer this problem and solve it in different ways. All the startups that, um, that were attempting this in those days were doing it the way that was the easier way to do it, which is basically to monitor radio stations, and it would, they would tell you the song. So the real breakthrough in Shazam was not the idea of identifying music. The real breakthrough was to come up with the idea of, wow, what if we could identify music just using the ambient sound in the room? And then you'd be able to do it not just for radio stations, but also in bars, clubs, theaters, TV, stores, laundromats, and so on.
0: Now, this was pretty clairvoyant, not only because of just the technology innovation, but this was also before iPhones and Android and all those mobile devices were talking, you know, 2000. Did you, at the time, envision the mobile industry innovating as fast as it had?
1: Yeah. I I mean, so basically, uh, I had, uh, at that time in 1999 when I came up with this idea, I was actually doing my MBA at the time at Berkeley. And um, I had spent the prior years working as a management consultant focused on the telecommunications industry. So I definitely spent time thinking analytically about telecommunications and mobile phones, and I could see the rapid rise of mobile phones. And at that time in 1999, not everyone had a mobile phone even as I was brainstorming business ideas, I just thought, wow, all these people are going to have mobile phones. It just seems like they're going to want to do things with it other than make phone calls. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually at that time in the United States, people weren't even sending text messages on the mobile phones in in a big way. Um, So I just, that's really, I think what led to me thinking about ideas related to the mobile phone. I just felt like if everyone's walking around with these devices, they're going to, there's going to be other things that they're going to want to do. And The Shazam idea seemed like a great complement to that.
0: You mentioned uh, texting, and that's how your service was initially launched. It was called 2580 because if you dialed 2580 and you held up the phone, then the phone would identify the song and text it to you.
1: What's interesting about the 2580 number, because it's sort of non-obvious to the average listener, um, but is that uh, that's a short code. So when you dial 2580, it's like dialing 411 or 511. It's initiating a voice call, even though you're only dialing a few digits. And those short codes are not readily available to companies. So essentially, or to people, I mean, basically, the only people that control them are the mobile phone companies themselves. And so we knew that we're going to have to go and negotiate to get a special short code for uh, Shazam. But what's really interesting. Is that we had to figure out what code that would be so it would be memorable. And a brilliant designer said, well, how about the only four-digit number on the phone that's in a straight line?
0: Why did you choose to to base the company in England?
1: I had so I have a lot of roots in, in the UK. Um, my father's British, my mother's French, I have a British passport. And so I loved England. I had done my master's degree at Cambridge. I've done my first job in consulting was in London. I just loved, I loved the UK. And I just thought, wouldn't it be great to start a company and start it in London? I mean, everyone else is starting companies in Silicon Valley. I think it'd be as a life experience, it'd be fun to do it in London.
0: Uh, And also at the time, it seemed like London was more forward thinking on mobile technology than the United States was.
1: It really was.
0: You launched the product or 2580 uh, in 2002. When did you get sense that you were getting traction, that people were using the service?
1: Uh, Well, If at all. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. And you've hit on probably one of the most challenging parts of the Shazam experience, which is that the number of users that we had from our launch in 2002 until the advent of the iPhone app store, which was in 2008, during that period that our number of users were very small in the sort of tens or hundreds of thousands. Um, and um, and so in, an inadequate number of users to make a viable company. Um, and it's really only when the App Store launched that we finally hit our hockey stick of growth uh, that we've uh, said lead to kind of the widespread usage that we have today.
0: Did you all talk about closing the company down before that point? Or did you feel like it could still motor along at this subdued pace?
1: I would say that the company came very close to being closed down several times in the period between 2000 and 2008, and it sort of just barely survived. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it was always trying to make it and coming up with some way to make it another six months, another year. I can remember when we had to switch offices um, in uh, post uh, our venture capital round, and normally often companies kind of upgrade to better and bigger and nicer offices. But we went the reverse path because we were struggling so much. And so we went from semi-glamorous startup offices to kind of former, you know, tax government offices and so on that were just bottom dollar prices.
0: Other than Apple, who were key people or key events that really helped to ensure the
1: Success? Yeah, or just
0: the stability.
1: So, one really key event is that we built uh, a separate parallel business to Shazam in the early days. Yeah. Um, and that separate parallel business was using the same technology. Um, but what we did is we used our technology in order to monitor thousands of radio stations and create reports around what they were playing. Um, and that was something that was actually needed by the ri- right societies that, that would distribute royalties to artists for, mm-hmm. in order to do it in an effective manner um, because they were doing it in non-automated ways using sampling and so on. Um, so, uh, so we were able to monetize that and, and even sell that piece of the business, um, and the cash from that was was one was one outcome that sort of helped fund the business.
0: You were one of the first apps in the Apple Store. How did that? How was that arranged?
1: So yeah, we had a talented business development person uh, at Shazam who was very persistent. Her name was Katie, and she was um, out trying to figure out you know who are the big partners that we should partner with, um, and. Uh, well, it seems very obvious today, but I would actually say that, you know, although the iPhone had a lot of hype around it, and it certainly was popular, it had nowhere near the scale that we have today. But uh, she ma- she did a great job of really getting to know the folks at Apple and forming a relationship. And Apple also, very importantly in that era, was trying to think about what are the third-party apps that are really going to showcase this device. Mm-hmm. They engaged with us, and we were got to be part of their initial launch.
0: You very easily accidentally could not have been if it hadn't been for for Katie. Yeah.
1: I think Katie is the, the greatest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she saw she spotted the opportunity early and, and she was really persistent about it. And, and yeah, so
0: by the way, it seems like creating an app is a different exercise than creating a text based service, even though you're doing the same thing by pulling down uh, audio data. How difficult was it building an app?
1: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because this is in the
0: early days of building apps.
1: It was, yeah. It wasn't rocket science to build an app. Um, But um, actually, actually Apple was very good. For those early apps, they really wanted to make sure, as I said, they showcased the device Mm. as being a great great device. And for the Apple Apple iPhone to be perceived as a great device, they wanted those initial apps to be great. So they did a lot of hand-holding around a design of those app experiences.
0: The music database is basically a collection of songs, the names of songs, and the artists. Can you talk to to me more about that? Yeah,
1: so basically, um, so our, our goal is to make it so you can identify anything. But one of the problems is that back when we started Shazam, it wasn't a common thing to have digital music databases, and that's what we need in order to create the fingerprints that we use, mathematical descriptions of this sound. Uh, So we actually ended up having to create a database of fingerprints of music from scratch. And what that meant is that we literally had to build software where you could put CDs into a computer, and then it would fingerprint those CDs and create these fingerprints of the music, and then you would have to type, people would actually have to type the name of every single song and the artist. So we actually had, I think, around 15 or 20 teenagers working around the clock in multiple shifts Putting CDs into computers, typing the names of songs, so that we could create this huge fingerprint database in order to, to launch.
0: And so, was was a, a large part of your capital outlay just buying CDs? Like going to the music store and just buying as much as you could in the classical area, and the pop area, and the country area, and.
1: We, we definitely invested a lot of money in, in in creating the database. Yeah, we found ways to do it where we didn't weren't stuck with a bunch of CDs, mm-hmm. but um, finding a way to get to all those CDs was definitely a critical part path for us.
0: I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Chris Barton, co-founder of Shazam, an app that identifies the song you're listening to simply by holding up your phone to the sound. Avery Wang, one of your co-founders, was very instrumental in nailing the technology part of this. Uh, You found him through a professor at Stanford, Julia Smith, and basically asked, who's your smartest student? And he came up with Avery. Can you explain why Avery was so instrumental? If you agree.
1: Without him, we wouldn't have been able to start Shazam. There was no technology that could solve this problem that we were trying to solve of music recognition in a noisy environment. There were were music recognition companies that worked outside of noise.
0: You stayed with the company until until 2004. What was your reason for leaving?
1: I so The company actually, as I said, mentioned, struggled for many years. Um, and um, I had been there for four years plus. And I just thought it's time to go on and do new things. I ended up joining Google at an exciting time about six months before they went public. They're still like a big startup. Um, and uh, I just thought Shazam will be something I can stay involved in at the board level. And so, you
0: maintained equity? And yeah. Who were um, some of your first investors?
1: Well, actually, first starting off, we had angel investors for our seed round, and we decided we wanted to get prominent people that would give credit credibility to the company. So we had Sir Colin Southgate, who was the chairman of EMI, John Preston, who was the chairman of BMG in the UK, and so on. Phil Weiser founded Liquid Audio. Um, and then um, for our venture round, we had three venture firms that invested in us. Um, and um, that was IDG Ventures Europe, um, and then two other venture firms, uh, Lynx Capital Partners and FLV. We had to pitch to over 100 venture capital firms uh, before we found anyone that was interested in risking their investment money.
0: How did your pitch change over time?
1: When we first launched Shazam, uh, I think we were pretty, we were focused on premium SMS as our core revenue stream. So like literally, our model was not that different from 411, you dial a number, and you, and you get an information, and you pay 50 cents for it. And similarly, we had a, a, a business model like that. You pay it each time you Shazammed. Um, we then evolved towards subscription, and then later towards selling music. We were actually a big driver of music sales um, for iTunes. But today, the company is very focused on advertising and very innovative advertising. So not just simply putting ads within Shazam, but actually enabling people to use Shazam to connect with the, the offline world of advertisements around them, from TV to radio to billboards to you know anything.
0: I want to talk about your personal life. Uh, you are from San Diego, California. Your mother and father are both professors. Your mother was a professor of computer science. Yep. Your dad had a consulting business, um, basically uh, with the aviation industry, helping airlines determine whether there was water in the wings through <laughs> N-ray uh, through n-ray radiography, right? N-rays are like X-rays, except they could look through metal. Anyway, you tell yeah. me yeah, uh, that's what correct. he did. Yeah, that's
1: correct. I'm amazed you know all that stuff. <laughs> so um, yes, yeah, so n rays stands for neutron rays, uh, and they have different abilities than x-rays in terms of what, the, what they can provide in terms of imaging. Uh, and he focused on a project actually with the Air Force uh, to build a nuclear reactor that enabled the use of N-rays to inspect the wings of Air Force jets and look inside the wings where they get their honeycomb wings on, on the inside, honeycomb material, and look for water corrosion.
0: How do you think your parents would describe you growing up?
1: Oh gosh, mischievous troublemaking, uh... Now, um yeah, You yeah. say
0: no, but yeah, a little bit. You I, mean that? Yeah. yeah,
1: I was pretty mischievous. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would invent ways to torture my sister, for example, instead of just you know fighting like normal kids do. I just kind of try to come up with these innovative ways that I I could kind of create a little bit of a torture envir- environment. Like one example was that I would put her in a closet, and then I would take a phone that had a cord, and I would um, throw the phone in the closet with her, and then I would dial random numbers, oh. and she would say, "Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to call." It was great.
0: Incidentally, where does the name Shazam come from?
1: Basically. She Shazam is most famous for a comic series, Marvel Comics, where a small kid named Billy Babson uh, would say, Shazam, and and a lightning bolt would come down from the sky and he would turn into a superhero named Captain Marvel. Um, But prior to that, it was used as a word here and there to basically mean to conjure magic. And so when I thought of the Shazam concept of identifying songs, it felt like you were conjuring magic to your phone.
0: Now, we talked before about... um how you know the traction was sort of a forced march in the early days, and it really wasn't until uh, Apple came out with your app that there was this inflection point. Um, do you remember? I mean, you were at Google at the time. Do you remember kind of like hanging out on your couch and all of a sudden seeing the popularity uh, of Shazam just? escalate like yeah. talk to me about those oh, impressions oh, I mean
1: that was incredible I mean it, it was like finally like the what I had always believed in was finally becoming a reality. And it was eight years after the fact, Um, because yeah, we came up with the the Shazam concept in 2000, and the App Store launched in 2008. And uh, I can remember they had these real-time rankings. And I have to admit, for that first week, probably, I was addicted to just watching where Shazam in those rankings. Um, Even to this day, it's actually always remained in the top 100 on the iOS App Store. I just thought, wow, this is finally the world is discovering it. But uh, I just I just was patient and waited.
0: Are uh, you patient in general?
1: I'm very persistent in general. I'm not sure about patient, but definitely persistent.
0: Uh, what was uh, some early songs that were shazamed in the UK that, that you remember, that kind of you hold on to? As
1: some songs that were... Sh- that were
0: first Shazammed.
1: Gosh, you know, I, I can't remember what... Uh, What the popular songs that were Shazam, but I do remember um, some of the challenging songs that we had when we were first developing the technology. Um, This is before launch, but we noticed that um, no matter what people you tried to identify, it would come back and say it's Brian Eno. And we couldn't figure out why. And after doing some investigation, we found it's because he had the longest song in our entire database, and it was some bug that was leading it to always con- con- conclude it was that song. Ah. And then we had another bug, which was actually much more uh, entertaining, in my opinion, where um, our one of our venture capitalists would try to identify many different songs, and no matter what he tried, he would get back that uh, the answer that it's the Pixies. And we thought this is strange because it's only happening to our venture capitalist. Um, but what was happening is he. He was so eager to make it work, this is prior to launch, that he was going up with his phone right to the speaker, and it was creating a feedback sound with the speaker, and that feedback sound is nearly identical to a Pixie song.
0: What are some uh, songs lately that you've...
1: Oh, gosh, I Shazam. I just love to always put Shazam to the test so I always like you know I'm, I'm obsessed with making sure that Shazam has every song um, and I really believe that, that the the, the, impor- and the importance of the long tail and the songs that don't get Shazam that much and I really saw how for Google and for Amazon that was a critical part of their success yes. was making everything searchable and everything buyable on Amazon and so it's been one of my obsessions and something that I've pushed heavily for um, within Shazam and, and, and we really achieved. So when we launched Shazam, we only had 1.6 million songs, which to give you an idea if you had watched, walked into Virgin Mega Store on Oxford Street in London and bought one of every single CD you would buy about 15,000 CDs, so that would be about Two hundred, three hundred thousand 300,000 songs. So we launched with 1.6 million songs. So that was a lot of music. Um, But today, Shazam has well over 40 million songs.
0: And it's still people just using their fingers to type in new songs. No,
1: thankfully, (laughs) thankfully, we've moved past that archaic form of uh, music fingerprint ingestion. Yeah. So nowadays, there's many digitized databases. The record companies have digitized feeds and so on. So we've come a long way since then. Let's see. It looks like uh, so. If I look back at some of my recent songs that I shazammed, well, this is this was clearly uh, falls into the long tail because this song has only had 169 shazams ever, which is a sign that it's a, a relatively unknown song. Um, and the song is called "Flaming" by a band called Scape Eleven. I also have like Coldplay and Pearl Jam and uh, you know some big bands like that on what, here. What song Prince. from
0: Coldplay or Prince?
1: For the Prince song, it was 1999.
0: You needed to know that it was 1999?
1: Sometimes I don't know the names of songs, embarrassingly. like I knew it was Prince, but I probably didn't know the name of the song. Embar- so that's why I need Shazam.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. My guest has been Chris Barton, co-founder of Shazam. If you would like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch.